Welcome to episode 22 of season 2 of the Search with Canada podcast. My name is Jack Chambers Ward, and this week I am joined by Catherine Wattier Ong. You may already know Catherine from her more than 17 years of experience in the digital marketing industry. She's also the owner of WO Strategies, a fantastic consultancy over in the US, and she is also the host of the Fantastic Digital Marketing Victories podcast. Search of Canada is supported by Systrix, the SEO's toolbox. Go to systrix.com SWC if you want to check out some of their fantastic free tools, such as their Instagram hashtag generator, href lang validator, checking out your site's visibility index, and the Google update tracker. That's systrix.com SWC for free SEO tools. You can also go to systrix.com trends, and there you'll find the monthly trend watch newsletter, which you can subscribe to to get monthly trend data delivered straight to your inbox. There is also systrix.com blog for all of the latest articles and analyses, including the recent May core update analysis and the monthly sector watch articles, which give you a glimpse into a particular industry and any recent changes that might have happened there. Industries that have been covered recently in SectWatch include sustainable travel and project management software. So I highly recommend you subscribe to that to get a glimpse into those industries, especially if they're relevant for you or your clients. And now, without any further ado, here is my interview with Catherine Watier-Ong. And welcome to the show, Catherine Watier-Ong. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me. I know we are uh, very quickly transitioning from Twitter DM buddies to podcasters <laughs> in a matter of 24 hours, I think. You got lucky. I've I've been overbooked for three years up until recently. So now I've got some time to hang on on Twitter, I guess. I, w- I was so pleasantly surprised. Um, and we'll get into who Catherine is in a moment, listeners, if you don't already know her. But I sent out a tweet uh, saying, oh, I need a guest for this week's episode and I had some great responses and you were straight in there and I was like, no way. Oh my God. And I assumed, as, as you as you correctly said, you've been super booked for years and years. And you're like, yeah, I'm totally free. I'm like, oh my, wow. Okay. So brilliant. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it right oh, now. Oh, <laughs> you're making me feel like a rock star. That's so sweet. <laughs> so for the listeners who don't know who you are, Catherine, please do let them know. Yeah, sure. So I'm the owner and principal at WO Strategies, which is a uh, organic traffic consultancy. We primarily focus on science enterprise sized organizations. So I'm working the good fight to get good science into Google. And I've been doing SEO for 17 years prior to my own business, which I think we're on year seven almost. I actually ran and built the online marketing and analytics team for Ketchum servicing their clients globally. So I've had a chance to work with a lot of crazy brands. (laughs) <laughs> Not crazy. Crazy in that they're big. <laughs> and then to how I kind of discovered what you threw was through your Digital Marketing Victories podcast. Great. I'm a podcaster. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I <laughs> the most important part. Yeah. So I run a, an interview style show called the Digital Marketing Victories podcast, and it's focused on the soft skills around digital marketing. I actually started it because uh, I used to run the DC search marketing meetups in town. And I really loved connecting with other folks in the digital marketing industry and learning something myself, obviously. And that got a little bit harder when I started my own business because kids arrived about the same time. And so getting downtown from where I am in Virginia was just tough and hard. And so even before the pandemic, I ran into a friend of mine at a search show and they were talking about podcasting as, you know, a marketing channel people should pay attention to. And so both of us were like, oh, let's do this together. That way we'll make it happen. Um, And I also had clients (laughs) with podcasts, so I like having a playground. Um, but it's so similar. The, the meetup was actually for people to celebrate their wins with other people that will care in case other folks don't care. Right. So be around like-minded people, but then also get into the nitty gritty of how you got to that win. So that's what the interview style podcast is. And then I also have a daily SEO tips podcast, which was, I was very ambitious when I gave it the name daily because <laughs> I don't think it's ever been daily. And now it's been on a hiatus for a while because we ended up homeschooling with the kids at home and whatever. I just I had to cut something and that got cut. But I'm hoping to bring it back because I have a lot of subscribers, weirdly. So I want to bring it back. <laughs> I think it's coming from an SEO perspective for a podcast title, daily blank tips is is just gold in terms of podcast titles and People, people are just going to search for that kind of thing on podcast apps until the end of time. So I think that's a... Well, I also just, I got lucky. It was early 
I was actually at the Voice Summit speaking, ran into somebody who was into, you know, they call it micro podcasting, right? Really short stuff. And he had an Alexa flash briefing and talked my ear off <laughs> about how much <laughs> I should do this, about how, how it really works. It doesn't need to be overproduced. People subscribe, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, I wanted to speak at the Voice Summit the next year. And I realized that everybody had an Alexa flash briefing. And so I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be picked as a speaker if I don't have one. So <laughs> that was also anyway. So you can get it on Alexa. <laughs> um, but it actually turns out it's relatively easy to get your micro podcast onto Alexa. I was able to figure it out myself. <laughs> well, that transitions us quite nicely into some discussion about voice search, which I know is something you have delved into and something I've not particularly delved into myself from an SEO perspective and something we've not really touched on that much on the show. It comes up in the news every now and then, but... Tell us a little bit about your experience with voice search and, and how that's kind of grown over the last few years in terms of SEO. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm sort of a negative Nancy about voice search, even though I know a lot about it. So more people are searching via voice, period. Everybody should probably pay attention to it, period. <laughs> However, you can't measure it. So ROI is impossible. And if you were to ever convince a client or you're in-house and you're like, hey, I think we should do some voice search and you're not creating a voice app on Alexa or uh, or the other platforms like uh, Google Podcast. I'm sorry, Google Podcast, Google Voice Search app. I'm blanking on the name of it now, of course. But anyway, if you're not going to actually create something on both of the platforms and you just want to be found by organic search generally, it's really hard to prove the ROI because it's really hard to measure. The stuff that you can measure is if you've actually built something. There's no view or property in Google Analytics. No, to have a there's voice nothing. Search, right? <laughs> no, and then and then the traffic comes in as direct, so it doesn't even get in your analytics, so it doesn't even get you know stuck in the right bucket. So impossible to measure there. And then the the part that's even more makes me <laughs> even more frustrated is like I always felt bad for small businesses, for instance. Like small businesses need to do regular regular SEO plus the local SEO on top, but they have the least amount of resources to do that. Mm, so it's always yeah. made me pissed off as an SEO, honestly. Um, but voice search is very similar because there are a thousand different databases that pull voice search answers depending on the type of query you've got. And so, again, depending on the queries you're trying to appear for, it's this multi-pronged strategy, kind of similar to local search. Um, and so it's more work. <laughs> so it's more work. There's no ROI. You can't measure it. <laughs> <laughs> but you should do it because people are clearly searching via voice search. Yeah. <laughs> I know there's there's kind of some contention around sort of featured snippets and knowledge graphs and things like that around voice search. How much of that factors in? It's mostly driven by featured snippets. Am I correct in thinking No, that? it's only a third of the time a featured ah, snippet is the result. So that's the problem. Well, I'm a, a problem. So, I mean, like if you have, if you've got a featured snippet strategy anyway, which you should have, um, then yeah, if it's information-based query, ding, you've got potential option for voice search. <laughs> but if you're a local map result, that's a different database. And if it's on a particular phone, that might be an Apple Maps result. And, you know, so it it depends on the, if you were to create a strategy, you would have to know, first of all, what queries you care about. You'd have to know more about your audience and what device they're using to do the search because different devices provide different voice search results. And then you can map a plan from there. But you'd have to, I mean, the first part is sort of like, convincing somebody you can spend the time on it which i think would be the hardest part yeah, maybe definitely right but then but then you'd have to sort of map with okay everybody is i don't know searching for us in the car and most of them have a particular database installed right and it's all going to be siri stuff or whatever um and then you can map a plan from there because you know amazon uh doesn't like google and so it's not using the google database so that's where you get all these fracturing of all these different places that can pull from. I have a full guide on my website. So really, if you are interested in all this, um, <laughs> and back back when I did the analysis, which at this point is probably about a year old, maybe a year and a half, um, but Bing was actually one of the, was powering more voice search results because of the Amazon dominance than right. Google was. Yeah, interesting. So, they so then you're optimizing for Bing, which you normally don't optimize for really, <laughs> right? So if you want to dive into it, I certainly, I, I've helped folks figure it out. I have some guides on my website you can download, but amazing. Um, it's usually hard to get past that first, you know, spending time on something you can't measure the results of part. Definitely. I'm trying to justify <laughs> that to a client who's paying you money. <laughs> exactly. That's <laughs> yeah. the hardest part. Exactly. All the links for that stuff, by the way, listeners, will be in the show notes at search.withcanada.co.uk. you find the links to Catherine's website, Catherine's Twitter, all that kind of stuff as we'll go on to throughout everything we'll talk about. And we'll talk about a lot 
this episode. Everything will be linked there for you for future reference. Going on kind of from voice search and thinking about the evolution of search, from your experience, how much does a kind of voice search differ from a like a similar query taken from a written perspective, somebody tapping into their phone or tapping into their laptop or whatever it is, compared to searching, like you said, in the car or in the shower, I don't know, where else people use voice search. How much of that, the, the language actually used for search changes from text to voice, do you think? Do you think mostly people are texting like they talk nowadays? No, no, because the queries, <laughs> no, the queries for voice are longer. So when I was trying to pull this out for a client, actually, that was what sort of what I was looking for. You can find if there's enough volume around the query and your site's not big enough where you can't get to real data inside Google Search Console. Or Bing. This is where Bing might be helpful. But you can go in and if you find a query that really strikes you like a long question, that's a voice search query. It's just full stop. It's a voice search. Nobody's going to type a sentence. No. <laughs> like it's just. And so I, I was lucky in that I found it was actually for National Cancer Institute. I found a query that was clearly a voice search query. But you got to dig <laughs> to find something that's relevant. But yeah. Um, but then if you actually want to see what appears, that's where it gets. Uh, last time I looked, there was one. So and I. I can send the link to it because I'm forgetting the name of the software. There's a software that you can sign up for, subscription, of course, and it does the local search voice responses. So you can put in a query and it will give you a sense of what's appearing. Interesting. But if you're outside of that one intent, just local, because mm -hmm. there's many there, you could be doing product searches, you could be doing information-based searches, like there's a bunch of different intents out there, right? So if it's any of the other ones, particularly the information-based, which a lot of people might be shooting for, the only way to know what appears is to turn on all the devices in your room <laughs> and just listen to what responds, which is crazy because they personalize to you. So I get back to the same problem that like, okay, cool. I know that I'm appearing in Alexa, but not on my Google Home, but that's with my data. Yeah, that's really interesting. I know uh, Claire Carlisle and I talked about it when we touched on local SEO and how you know Google kind of pushes the... Uh, kind of questions of like, oh, did you enjoy that place? Would you like to go to this place? Is this place, uh, does, does this place have disabled access? Answering all those questions like on behalf of things that will appear in map packs and and all that kind of thing. Having the similar kind of thing for voice search, like you said, it, it tailors it to every person's different, their own personal algorithm in a way. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah that's fascinating. It's, it's so much more diverse than you would think too, because I got a chance when I was at Ketchum, I sweet talked the user testing crew and got a demo account from them because I told them I, I did speak at a search show talking about it. But um, I got a demo account and we were working with Hertz at the time and they were launching a Zipcar competitor. And I wanted to prove the point that they possibly don't know their target demo <laughs> and how varied the results were. Mm. And so we did basically a focus group. But starting from search, I always encourage people to do this if they have, especially if they're sitting on the software to do it already, like they have a user testing account or something similar. So we recruited their target demo in DC and New York and actually had them, gave them a scenario that wasn't leading. And we had them articulate because they had to go to the scenario, something like you have to go get groceries. And we knew they didn't have a car. We vetted for that. And then they would articulate their keywords out loud which was amazing because people were using keywords I never would have brainstormed. Yeah, in my, yeah. It was like uh, in New York, it was car service. I was like, car service? Okay. As, as a Brit, I have never heard that phrase in my life. Right. Like you would <laughs> never know that that could have been something somebody would have Googled. And then at that point, they were talking with their phones. They were typing it in on mobile because I don't believe voice search was, is too old of the case study. But then you can see everybody's search results on mobile and how radically different it was i mean there was somebody here in dc who got even though it, the query was car rental they got wamata which is our subway system really high and most everybody got a what frankly looked like a crappy website um that was high <laughs> ranking it's like one of those directory-ish things yeah but everybody loved it and everyone because we have part of the scenario was like clicking through and talking about which one you liked and everybody clicked on the dang thing and talked about <laughs> it which was a huge insight you're like okay it looks like crap but that's a barnacle strategy. Get yourself listed there. <laughs> yeah, right. absolutely. Anyway, so I, if I had a client that had the budget and I really wanted to be smart about it, honestly, I'd start there. I would do a focus group with people starting from search. Amazing. Well, talking about kind of getting teams together and planning big things, I know you've done some pretty, pretty impressive site migrations throughout the years, talking tens of millions of 
URLs and hundreds of millions of search traffic. How we're going to touch on it in a bit more detail, but let's start from the the very top. How do you even begin to tackle something that big from such a huge, like I said, tens of millions of URLs, hundreds of millions of you know monthly traffic? How do you even begin to tackle something that big from an SEO and migration perspective? Well, I mean, so <laughs> it's funny because the migrations are only kind of recent. So when I joined Ketchum, I joined because I helped them win the business promoting electronic health records and mm. launching healthit.gov. So technically, yeah, that was my first migration. We moved from the HHS office website into healthit.gov. And I had the manpower with intern staff to actually outreach to everybody who linked to the HHS office website and told them about the new website with a customized link building email. Wow, wow. <laughs> because .govs don't get any special treatment. They have to build up the same backlink profile as everybody else in order to rank, by the way. They get no dog, I've worked with three .govs. They need no special treatment. No TLD specialities. Yeah. yeah, no, no. But, and what was crazy is that it frankly totally worked Probably because it was an HHS website. But anyway, everybody built more links. They replaced the one and then they built more. Interesting. So if you have the manpower, do that. But anyway, that was my first sort of migration. But then since then, didn't I've worked on a lot of typical SEO work where clients did migrate and then come back to you because oh, they lost yeah. traffic. We, yes. we all know that. <laughs> yes. So I did a lot of that, a traffic recovery kind of assessments. But then one of my clients that I was on a master service agreement with did a migration, but our retainer was odd. And honestly, ran, they ran out of funds before I could help them during the migration month. Not ideal. But then that led to me working on a couple more journals where I actually helped them migrate. And they had the budget to keep me on board the entire time. So um, I worked with the Association for Microbiology. Um, and there were 18 different subdomains um, that kind of collapsed into one. Wow. It's about... 7 million URLs in the previous web platform down to about two indexable. There's more than that to be crawled. And that one had 35 million backlinks. And then this year, there were 150 million historical backlinks on the site that I migrated about the same size of website. But I'll tell you that, so the trick, <laughs> the trick is one, I've been doing SEO for 17 years. I've seen a lot of stuff, one. So I just felt like even though I hadn't done sites that were particularly that big, I, I mean, I giggle a lot about it, but I'm like, let's go. <laughs> Let's do it. Sure. I'll figure it out. The other part, some more, some of it's confidence. Like I'm like, I can figure this out. But then the other part, this is the secret to my success. If you're a woman in the SEO space, you need to join the women in technical SEO group. That's got a Facebook group and it's a Slack group. Amen. Absolutely. Yeah. Even as, even as a, you know, a white dude doing a podcast as, as I am here, I, I know that Arij and the team over there have done amazing work and I cannot recommend them enough as always. Links in the show notes because, like, if you are a uh, woman in SEO listening right now, highly, highly recommend what those guys are doing over there. I know quite a few people who have said amazing things about that group, and people I've met at Brighton SEO or people I've worked with in the past who have been a part of that group. And yeah, met, like one of the nicest places in SEO by the sounds of it. <laughs> I know they—they they are the other half of my confidence, I guess, is what I could say. So when I was like writing the proposal for this, like eighteen different what, you know. I mean, I've worked on big tickets, but not migrations because, you know, when I worked with fisheries at NOAA, actually, no, sorry, uh, National Cancer Institute, when I did their audit, turns out they had 150 subdomains on different platforms on different CMS systems run by different teams. So, I mean, I've played with bigger sites, but not migrations, right? So I was like, okay, I think, I think I can do this. And I've been on every, I've been where the SEOs have been hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> long time, right? I was on the Moz community when that was the hot place to hang out. I've been on Twitter for a long time because that's where people hang out that are in the industry. Um, I've been on some Slack groups, uh, but there are some really great men in SEO. <laughs> but then there are also some men that just make it really hard to get your dang answer, you know, yeah. and you don't get any of that drama in this group with Arish. None of it. She doesn't allow it. It's nothing but help. No, ma no matter where you are in your SEO journey, like baby beginner, you don't know anything to, I've been doing it for a decade or so. No question is stupid. You're not allowed to even say that in the group. It's just, <laughs> it's nothing but supportive. Like when I actually posted with a question about one of these .govs, I forgot the question, but I posted with a question. It was like a technical question saying like, okay, it is a .gov, but here's the rest of my question. I totally had these guys pile on. This is in a different group, obviously, but these guys piled on. They're like, why are that seems like a waste of our taxpayer dollars? Oh, I was God. like, dude, without an SEO, 
It's a waste of your taxpayer dollars. <laughs> there is stuff being created on these .gov websites that are not found by Google search. <laughs> if anything, you should be happy that there's an SEO or two working on some federal websites. Anyway. <laughs> I think that's, yeah. We're not going to go into a huge rant here. Um, we could all day No, long, but if you're a woman, but... join the group. And if you're not on the group, you're missing out is really the big, big takeaway. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I said, can't recommend enough. I've heard nothing but great things from, like I said, people I've met, people I've interviewed, people I've worked with throughout the years. Highly, highly recommend women in tech SEO. Women in tech SEO. So how do you kind of, I guess there's going to be issues with the migration almost no matter what, right? I know we've we've touched on this a couple of times on the show on, before, but there's always going to be something that is going to go wrong. How do you kind of approach that with something that large? If something does go wrong that is pretty big scale, I guess it's the element of communicating that to the client or the the company you're working if you're in house. How how do you kind of approach that? You know, something's gonna go wrong, and but don't worry, we'll fix it. Kind of thing, kind yeah. of approach. <laughs> I mean, I think my job might be a little easier because I train all of my clients in SEO, and that's weird because I have a bias. I think SEO should be owned internally, and I end up working with these big organizations that don't have SEO internally. And so my entire focus is like, you know, you can have me help you, but you've got so many moving pieces. You need somebody internally to drive the strategy. And in fact, I help National Cancer Institute hire their first SEO. So sometimes I in, I help National, um, the fisheries division of NOAA, write their first job description to hire an SEO. So, I mean, <laughs> I just, I'm really big on, I, I'm really big on training SEOs, actually. That's my, that's my side passion <laughs> is training people for an SEO career if they've got the DNA for it. Um, but so all of my clients have gotten, so they usually go through the overview, you know, how do you pick a keyword kind of stuff, search intent, and then how do you write it? Some sort of a content brief and then some measurement kind of coaching. Right. And I set up some reporting for them. That's usually the plan. And usually I skip technical because for some websites, it doesn't matter. But with these bigger ones that I've been working with recently, it really really matters. So with the first academic journal that I helped, they had a crawl trap that took me forever to find, but <laughs> I, I find what was causing the crawl trap. So basically it was like a piece of their search functionality was not triggering a 404 and it was a relative link. So it created these infinite number of folders. I had that on a client a couple of months ago, funnily enough. Yes, I had, I had rel of... relative URLs and their navigation that caused this thing. And, yeah. it, and it drove me mental. <laughs> yeah, it took, no, I mean, I actually, so my brother's a, a UX developer and I honestly was like, can you look at this code with me? Because I don't know what's <laughs> going on. Where is this? I know what the problem is, but I have to document it so the developers can fix it. Anyway, so we fixed that one piece. Now, mind you, this is a big domain authority site, but we fixed that one piece and they got over a thousand more keywords ranking on Google page one in a month. Wow. Yeah. And I've seen this a couple of times on these bigger sites. Like sometimes there's a huge, there's a technical issue people don't know. And that thing will, when you clear it, suddenly you get instantly more traffic, right? So anyway, for the last two, the ones that were these 35 million backlink things, <laughs> I trained both of them on technical SEO and they're crawling on their own. So one is doing regular crawls and screaming frog in the cloud. And the other one's starting to check their own epic redirect mapping list on their own with screaming frog. Um, so that helps. So we're all talking the same language. They understand what I'm talking about. They're actually pretty savvy. Um, the other thing is these last two ones, I did a lot of research around which migrations, which configuration of migrations can cause the most traffic loss, <laughs> basically. And so, you know, if you change, and unfortunately, these type were the type that could lose the most. Mm. So I started talking about that very early on. Obviously, I also don't own the developers. We're working with a web platform, one platform to another. And so I can give them mapping. I can test their mapping. But if they don't put the redirect mapping in place accurately, all I can do is tell them they didn't do it accurately. <laughs> right? That's literally all I can do, unfortunately. And I can explain the amount of traffic, but but it's just me and the client being like, uh, we wanted you to do A to B. You went A to C. Can we go back and do A to B, right? That's like <laughs> literally all they can do. Yeah. Um, so so part of it was that because these migrations had, you know, in one instance, multiple subdomains into one. It had a design change. It had a platform change. It had a sort of like a URL change. 
And then multiple sub URLs definitely changed because one platform had sort of one format for URLs and the other one had another platform. So when you stack all of that together, that's the type of migration where you're going to lose the most traffic, Mm. unfortunately. And then on top of it, both of them did not execute on all of the redirects accurately. (laughs) So we got lucky with the second one where we lost no traffic. They published a very popular article on launch day, which I wouldn't have recommended, but that sort of eased things a little bit. Yeah. Um, But yeah. I dream of the day where I'm working with developers and they accurately implement all of the redirects <laughs> that I want. I know I've seen a few strategies. Funny enough, you mentioned the popular article being published there. A few people have done like sort of post-migration strategies of like, okay, we need to start doing some outreach and get some backlinks going because we know we're going to get hit by this migration in some form or another. Do you ever go in with that kind of mentality of thinking like, if something does go wrong, we have this kind of backup idea of, don't worry, we have this whatever it is, whether it's a strategy from a content perspective or backlinks or whatever it is. To well, kind of- I mean, yeah, when we moved to healthit.gov, we ju- I just lucked out in that um, you don't see this behavior with Google now, but back then, which is seriously maybe 10 years ago now, um, but back then you could actually see, I know Google says they don't do this, but we ended up tweeting articles that weren't indexed yet and they got indexed faster because mm. we were tweeting controversial take there for me i know it doesn't work now but but i mean we tested it we did like the submit it was mm. already in the site map check 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 i mean that was an instance it was glorious because the development team sat next to me at catch <laughs> so i got to you know really get them involved in seo and everything i was part of the qa process it's like an seo's dream so that site launched in a way that was ideal um but you still have to go through the process of getting google to care about each and every single new thing and putting in the database right um, so yeah, back in the day we did, we did some tweeting that worked <laughs> and certainly the outreach worked, but that was also because I was doing that strategically. Cause I'm like, okay, this website's going to launch with no backlinks, none. It's brand new. Yeah. And we got to build velocity. So how do we do that? And we, I was also involved in some content marketing, um, on that site, which also worked. So it was like, okay, let's, there are all these people with liver cancer that need an EHR. Let's get a case study of somebody who had an EHR, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm. And then we pitch it to the link to the liver cancer people, plus the one we already worked with and, you know, typical content marketing stuff. So, um, but still we took, probably took three years to start ranking for the keywords we wanted to, you know, slow and steady. Yeah. Well, that's SEO, isn't it really? <laughs> <laughs> it was very slow and steady, especially with the federal element there. There was a bit of a approval <laughs> process that kind of went can on. I <laughs> can only imagine the red tape you had to cut. To yeah, yeah, there was that. that. There was that too, <laughs> definitely. It was not a startup speed, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of transitioning off into long-term strategy, is there any kind of advice you'd give to somebody coming into working with a new client or a new site and coming up with that initial strategy? Maybe they've, they're at that kind of proposal onboarding kind of stage in the early process of that relationship what's a kind of way of approaching a really long term? Like you said, it's going to take three years for you to rank for the right things. Sometimes, sometimes it's quicker, sometimes it's not. Uh, what's the kind of initial approach there from your perspective? I mean, I think there's a couple of things that make it harder now in 2022. So Google's not indexing everything. And it's getting hard to even get authoritative stuff into the index. So I'm sort of doing that right now with this migration. You know, Some things didn't get back into the index, so let's get it back and it's good stuff. So that's different and weird and harder. Um, So I think that websites that have, if you start with a client, they've got a lot of stuff that's not performing. Maybe you actually trim as part of your strategy Mm. to see if you're getting slimmer. I also think that it's really hard, like deep in this, it's really hard to get Google to pull the canonical you want to pull if the signals aren't lined up. And even if the signals are lined up, then you still have trouble. And so... um, trying to be as clear as possible about what URL you want Google to put in the index, <laughs> um, you know, link to it internally, link to it externally, make sure it's the root, the, the result of all the redirects, put it in the sitemap file, all that stuff, just like line it all up. Um, my clients and I obsess about this quite a bit right now. Um, and then the other thing is that I think depending on the industry, it's gotten a heck of a lot harder to rank. So, you know, I'm working with these some of these clients have been in the health space and like when we did an assessment for national cancer institute i was like uh because they were still working on a set of keywords they picked the popular ones because they thought they were the doc of and of course i'm going to rank for liver cancer and 
I actually had to tell him, I said, based on your internal capacity and external capacity, I think you should maybe take breast cancer off your list. Like go through the cancer types that you think are well covered in relation to like an American citizen getting cancer, getting accurate information and search. Mm. If you feel like it's well covered by the health lines of the world, then maybe you move on to something else that's easier to rank because they have 260 different cancer types, you know, and they didn't realize until I worked with them that they're up against behemoths <laughs> in relation to SEO teams. Like, did you know that WebMD has been doing SEO since before Google? Interesting. No, I didn't. They are very sophisticated. Yeah. Um, so anyway, some of those teams are big, massive, yeah, well-trained. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I think that's the other bit is that if you're in, if you wander into a new industry, it might make sense to kind of take a look at some keywords, like a broad swath of keywords and see what's ranking. Because in, in the health space, I tend to see the same, it's like a white labeled list of the same sites again and again and again. And again, yeah, and that's really going to drive your strategy. Like talking about voice search, I actually worked with an agency. They were working with, um, they wanted me to come in and help train their team and help sort of uh, tighten up their voice search strategy. And they were working with a client that was um, pharma. So it was like a drug something, something. Anyway, and they thought they were going to rank for all of these terms. And I spent forever trying to find a term that had some space <laughs> <laughs> that they might rank for. Where like the intent made sense. And, and there was space and it wasn't too competitive and all that kind of stuff. So I would, I would do that. And then if any of you end up working with a journal website where Google Scholar matters, there's only, I think, I found three of us that know anything about Google Scholar. Three SEOs, <laughs> that is. So feel free to ping me. I'll give you the 411. But that's also a totally different bag of worms. Google Scholar is not something I've ever dived into. Do, do, do you want to touch on that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's more. So, I mean, I guess the big takeaway is that most journal websites sit on one of the, I think it's 12-ish platforms that are Google Scholar partners. So that means Google Scholar knows their format and they have a rep from Google Scholar and all that kind of stuff. Um, but that also, that has meant to me, <laughs> one of the platforms back the platform all my clients left that you might have a developer who says i don't care what you're saying i have a google friend and our google friend is telling us something different yeah. well the google scholar team is tiny <laughs> and it's not the same thing as a google search team <laughs> and then the irony is is they all use googlebot to crawl that's the best part <laughs> oh, so regardless of whether or not they argue with you it's the same dang crawler so if googlebot's having trouble probably scholars having trouble but a lot of it is very much black box. It's like another level of black box because scholar folks won't meet with you as an SEO. And they don't have like a John Mueller. No, there's no liaison for, no. <laughs> for Google Scholar. No, and a lot of my clients get more traffic from the big G, the Google search G, than the scholar G. Interesting. I mean, they don't want to ditch the scholar traffic. That's why they're on a scholar platform, right? But they also don't want to like shoot themselves in the foot in mm. relation to the bigger Google search. Yeah, yeah. I think that's something yeah. we're seeing a lot more of. I know we've touched on kind of, like you said, in the health industry and stuff like that, the phrase your money, your life comes up a lot, talking about EAT mm -hmm. and authoritativeness and mm -hmm. expertise, trustworthiness, all that kind of stuff. In your in your experience, how much of that has kind of shifted in, in how much of a... Cause from my experience, and I may be coming from a cynical perspective here, as I often do, but a lot of people talk about that kind of stuff and talk about how important EAT has become but I'm still not like 100% convinced that it is really, really driving a lot of that industry. I mean, I'm sure you have a yeah. better perspective than I do, but. No, I have, I have sort of like two conflicting thoughts in my head about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so one is that, in fact, I just saw um, Glenn Gabe the other day, I shared, it might even be yesterday, shared, uh, I think it was him. He shared a screenshot of Healthline who has a big team. I know how many people are on their team for SEOs. And they actually have like a sub page, very similar to like Wikipedia, where they actually show who edited it, who did the medical editing. Yes, I saw this. When yeah, it was yeah, yeah. updated. Yep. It's a full kind of accountability of the authors and the editors and stuff, right? Yeah. I honestly wouldn't discount that. They're one of the behemoths. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, so if they're doing it because they feel like that's the future or it might not hurt, <laughs> then perhaps everybody should do that i don't know so that's kind of where i've been 
leaning. I do yeah. think that websites that have literally no information about who owns the site and who the heck writes the stuff is not ideal. So anywhere from like the Wikipedia format <laughs> to at least just give a real blog author, maybe. I also think like it's that it doesn't hurt to do same as markup on your authors. We know it feeds the knowledge graph. Why would that hurt? Right? Like yep. you should do that. That just seems obvious. I recommend everybody <laughs> do that. But then on the other end, and I've seen Google say stuff that they can't do this, but I kind of wonder, this is one of these moments where I'm like, mm. so I go to the Word Museum. This is, it sounds like a tangent, but I go to the Word Museum in DC. If you have a chance to come to DC and you have a chance to go and you love books, you should totally go. The entire thing is about words. Everything to do with words, including singing. It's an amazing museum. Your kids will love it. Anyway. Sounds like my wife will love it as well. <laughs> oh, it's an amazing new interactive museum here in DC. And they require masks. Yay for all of us who want to wear masks. Anyway, and they have this library section where they have a really cool thing where you can put a book down and then it like tells you the story with visuals on top. Super oh, wow. cool. But then they also have what looks like maybe mirrors and you pick up headphones and you listen. So one of them that my daughter's like, oh, you have to listen to this was all about corpuses and how with machine learn get this with machine learning they can by looking at the corpus of an author figure out if you are the same author even if you're ghost writing because every one of us who writes has a fingerprint that oh, they can determine with machine learning interesting yeah, yeah. so they were they compared um oh, blanking on her name the woman who wrote harry potter jk rowling Right. And she writes under a pseudonym. Robert Goldbraith, something like that. There you go. Yep. See, I'm, this is why I'm asking the Brit, because of course you would know this. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I, I don't support J.K. Rowling for the record, yeah. but I know who she <laughs> is. <laughs> anyway, they compared those two corpuses with those two names, right? And they knew that it was the same person because of using the same sort of tell Sentence in the writing. structures and prose. Yeah. yeah, wow. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, once I saw that exhibit... Of course, as an SEO, I was like, <laughs> right? You can't turn off your SEO brain. I know exactly, I what, you mean. I know exactly what you mean. I, I cannot. I frustrate so, my wife all the time with that kind of stuff. <laughs> and, and I know recently they said, we don't know who the authors are. We don't use that in ranking. But then I also know that they can do it with artificial intelligence. I don't know. And how much they've been talking about Bert and Mum recently and how sophisticated Google is getting with that kind of stuff, with their language understanding there's got to be something in that right i think you're i think you're definitely onto something i feel i'm suspicious <laughs> i'm very suspicious and so i guess for tactically for my clients if i make sure that it's clear who owns the site who writes the content because that just seems stupid to not do and then i put same as markup on bare minimum do i need to go to the health line i don't know maybe if it was a health client we were having trouble ranking maybe i'd give it a test maybe um and do you have to ditch the ghostwriters yet? I don't know, but now I'm kind of like 50-50 about it. Kind of wonder. Again, I think it might depend on how much your search results are dominated by these sophisticated big guys where everybody's an expert, right? Because <laughs> I mean, because Google can't not show something in search. They have to show something, right? So if you're in a query, like unfortunately, recently I have a... a kind of odd medical condition and that there's crap written on the internet but <laughs> basically it's not very accurate so i feel like in that space you would have room and you could probably rank even though you weren't fully an expert on it but can you do that for breast cancer no a topic that is covered by like you said the behemoths of the industry the, yeah. the world leading experts yeah yeah so that's how i kind of feel about authority right now Big suspicion. And feel free to come to the Word Museum so you can listen to that yourself because it was very, as an SEO, I was like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am, Emma and I have been planning our honeymoon recently. We got married uh, a few weeks ago. Oh, congratulations. Thank you very much. And we're thinking about like, oh, where do we want to go? We're talking like going to America and stuff like that. So maybe I can convince her to go to DC and, and go, go to the Word Museum in that sense. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, there's plenty of free museums to come to in DC. The Word Museum's not actually free, but they have a sliding donation scale. So it sort of counts. <laughs> but I don't know if it'd be the sexiest place for you to come for your honeymoon. But, you know. <laughs> it's not the most, most romantic place in the world. Instead of Disney, well, I the mean, most the, magical The monuments place. at night are very romantic, actually. There you go. But other than that, I don't you know. Just give me marriage <laughs> tips now, Catherine. I appreciate right. SEO advice and marriage <laughs> advice as well. <laughs> Everybody should see the monument tonight. When I actually when I first came to DC, I actually worked for National 4 H Council in Chevy Chase, Maryland. And I lived in intern housing. So there were other interns there and other people were hired. I was in the development department, but other people were hired to be tour guides. 
And so one of my good friends was actually a DC tour guide and did night tours of DC. It's oh, a thing. Wow. And it's very romantic at night. It's actually sort of better to see like the FDR monument at night because it's lit up with all the water. It's really pretty. Anyway. I think it's interesting kind of coming back to your money of life and EAT and stuff like that. I think that's something it, it makes sense, right? To think about how Google is going to kind of filter out the crap. But as, as you rightly said, you come up with less known medical conditions or unusual subjects or whatever it is. And you very quickly get questionable information. I know there was an example um, when the, the title apocalypse happened like 18 months ago, two years ago at this point, whatever it was. And uh, there was like, a featured snippet that was it took the wrong piece of the sentence and it was like if somebody is choking stick your fingers down their throat and it's like mm, i don't know i don't think that's the plan google i know the quality of google search results is sort of like a totally other different conversation but i am also questioning the quality of results for sure even in the health space i get really annoyed my brother my my mother had some sort of a medical condition and i went to go look it up and the behemoths were there and i'm suspicious enough to be able to read through the lines of what mm. they're writing and i noticed the you know that's the language where they're kind of sort of hinting that's not fully proven you know what i mean but that's like a little tiny line in a little tiny sentence yep. you know it's like the whole apple cider vinegar people i worked on national honey board once and it turns out there's this whole so anyway i did the keyword research for honey literally everything to do with honey and there are all these people that think that honey and apple cider vinegar are going to cure all their ills and yeah Anyway, it was feeding into that, basically, <laughs> which just makes me mad because that's not accurate science information. Coming back to getting good science in Google, that stuff makes me mad. As a person with a physics background, I am all about getting good science in, in Google. I, I can definitely yeah. appreciate that journey for sure. Yeah. And I think, yeah, we're definitely heading in, for, for the most part, in the right direction. Like, again, not, not getting too political, but the whole like questioning of experts and don't trust the people who have degrees and phds in these topics don't agree with that but at least you know thank god there's people like you in the seo space that are having a positive influence on the digital side of things and the fact that when you do search for something you will actually get a relevant hopefully useful result and from from someone who actually knows what they're talking about <laughs> i mean i also think the big bohemoth needs some legislation i appreciate what the european union is doing actually though it's making everybody upset with ga4 and stuff but but ultimately they need legislation. If you've ever, if you're in the search space and you haven't read The Filter Bubble, I highly recommend you read it. It's from Eli Pariser. He had then moved on to do Move On. And weirdly, I knew him because I babysit him when he was a kid. Weird <laughs> connection. Um, but The Filter Bubble is really good. It's an older book, but it's all about this, the bubbles we have online and how much it impacts politics and our culture. Um, and while I'm a search geek, it also bothers me. Um, however, getting US folks to <laughs> coordinate themselves to do anything about it especially when they don't really understand how the internet works is a whole other thing yeah but I, I know that's definitely true outside of seo but it's definitely true in seo as well kind of in that filter bubble the echo chamber kind of thing you will get a kind of negative feedback or even a positive feedback look of like oh yeah this is a thing my confirmation bias says you know the people i work with say this is all correct have you experienced that before have you, have you been able to kind of balance that out and try and really filter out the crap in in your career as an, in an seo <laughs> whether or not i've gotten better results yeah i w i would say no but i think the part that people don't realize is that uh and i i spoke about this years ago is how much all of the platforms are personalized they mm. all use machine learning they all have very sophisticated folks working on their search algorithms and so like linkedin has a filter a personalization filter Pinterest has a personalization filter. Facebook has a personalization filter. Obviously, we knew Facebook. But like literally all of the social platforms you touch are getting personalized to you. The voice stuff is getting personalized to you. My overview training always has a little flavor of that because I just want clients to know like how much the personalization is a, a factor. Um, and most people don't know that they, for instance, you can download your voice talking to your phone inside your Google account. Yeah, I've... Uh... creeps people out and it should. <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's fast. I love going back on some of the, the Google Home app. You can see what your like family members or household members have searched for and stuff like that. And I was like, why did you ask how tall Brad Pitt was three days ago? And then I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, look, uh, don't, don't, don't worry about it. I was like, what, what a uh, fascinating. You just have kind of, like you said, you have access to that information. You can just download it. And on the other, 
side of things, some of the software I use for podcasting and stuff, you can now basically like deep fake your own voice uh, using some of the software I use called Descript, where you can not only kind of touch up your audio and edit it as if it were a text file, it's a fantastic piece of software, but you can also read a script for it, send it through, and it will create a deep voice version of you, which we did a few episodes ago. We had an intro read by the movie guy voice, and he just did like, <laughs> That's awesome. welcome to search with candor. And I was like, oh, well, okay. this is." <laughs> and there's this moment of like, we could do that with our own voices and I could just not be a podcast. I'd just type out my podcast script and leave it running for 40 minutes and walk away kind of thing. It's fascinating. I mean, in relation to longer term strategy, I just think people should understand the underpinnings of all of these platforms. I'm big about that. I've said that probably a thousand times to various different clients. Like for instance, um, I used to volunteer at the Pop Tech Conference, which is like a TED conference in Camden, Maine. And they always had, I mean, Sergey and Brynn were in the attendance one year. It's kind of crazy. It's a very small show too. It's like 300 people. <laughs> so you, and even as a volunteer, cause I did my, I did my master's thesis on consumer adoption of wearable computers. And so I really wanted to go because the inventor of wearable computers had spoke there oh, wow. the year before anyway. So it's like this weird tech show and it's in my home, basically my hometown in Maine. I got to see Ray Kurzweil speak. Oh, wow. I don't know if you know who Ray I Kurzweil absolutely is. absolutely do, yeah. Okay, yes. Like Everyone the, in SEO should know who Ray Kurzweil is. Talking about technological singularities and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes. He he is like he's created like 42 different patents. He has been working at Google and he really wants to be, become like a cyborg. He wants to have all this technology support your brain, right? And he's working at building a brain at Google. And so I just think that background is important for anybody who's really serious about search to have. And just think about, okay, well, if you've got this really, and you can see videos about Ray speaking, you got this really passionate guy sort of driving this development of like a computerized brain. Where does that mean Google is going? Yeah. I, I'm as a big sci-fi geek, like I said, I've got, a, I've got a degree in physics. So I absolutely love all this kind of stuff, like diving into transhumanism and futurism and all that kind of stuff and being like, yeah, I hadn't even occurred to me to kind of think about it from a Google perspective and a search perspective and think about how, you know, think about like cyberpunk stuff or Blade Runner going, Blade Runner was three years ago, everybody. It was set in 2019. Wow. <laughs> it's, a we wow. it's a weird thing to think about how, you know, people thought we'd have flying cars by now, but nobody predicted we'd be able to deep fake ourselves and deep fake the president of the United States calling everybody rude words and stuff like that. It's, uh, the evolution of technology is fascinating. And to throw a massive question out of here to to round us off, Catherine, what do you think is going to be the next big technological advance in SEO and search? That's a really good question. It's a, it's a horrible question to throw at you 45 minutes into this discussion. I'm sorry. I know, right? <laughs> um, so I actually think related to Ray, he has literally said, we want to eliminate the pain of searching. I actually talk about this in all of my SEO trainings. Mm. And if you know that that's where Google's going, voice search makes sense and discover makes sense, right? And yeah. searching with lens makes sense and being able to translate quickly across all these languages and still offer up great search stuff makes sense. It also makes sense to do stuff with low power in the developing world, right? Like they just, they want to <laughs> addict all of us to Google so they can make money off the ads, right? But then mm. they also like really want us to not have to use our brains to remember things they want us to always go to google to just google it I saw, I saw some research about this a couple of years ago that people are not retaining the actual information but retaining how to search for the thing to find the information so you don't remember the author of the harry potter yeah. series you remember to go how to search woman who wrote the harry potter series and, and they're you remember getting better at answering those queries Exactly. The weird exactly. queries where you really don't even have enough information to search. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, so part of it is like, again, coming back to Eli's book, which is a little bit more about like, where are we going as a culture, right? So mm. part of my my heart is like, oh my gosh, where are we going as a culture with all this? Because none of this is being regulated much and not at all here in the US. But then the other part, more practically as a marketer, like, you just have to know who you're talking to. I'm sorry, but like so many people don't have they have not done good audience research or mm. have good personas or have any clue about how their folks search. Can you early question about voice search? Like, I don't know, is voice search relevant for you? I don't know. Have you talked to your users? Are they, are they sales reps in the car all the time? And they do talk to their car. I don't know. Right. 
So depending yeah. on your industry, it might it might really matter. And stuff is getting so personalized to the end user that I just I think the days of being successful without really knowing who you're talking to are fading. Yeah, I think that again that ties into the expertise and authoritativeness as well, right? Even from your strategy perspective, not necessarily from an author of a an article or a piece, but like understanding your audience, understanding what you're capable of with your resources and all that kind of stuff is so key to success these days. And like you said, ranking is getting harder. There are more and more websites and more and more SEO professionals every single day that are competing with you. And if you're competing with some of the the big boys in town, the behemoths, as you as you said, Catherine, it's going to be even harder. And, and understanding where you fit in that, where you, you or your client, if you're working agency side as well, where you fit into those SERPs where you fit into the the rankings and that sort of things is yeah I think it's something you have to have in mind in 2022 right that has to be a part of your strategy going forward you do you have to make sure that the query you're well if you are savvy enough to know you have a query that you're writing around but I mean if you have a topic you're writing on uh does your target audience even google that or do mm. they google something radically different um like the car service idea and then are you writing with any sense of whether or not your stuff is going to be good enough to beat out the other things that are ranking? Like I'm always telling, because I'm working with these folks where it's new to SEO and I'm like, please don't write without SEO competitive information in front of you. Like you're just writing a brochure that's going to sit in a cold, dark hallway. <laughs> just throwing it out into the cold, dark of yeah, the Yeah, coming back space, to our tax yeah. dollars at work for some of these folks. Like, please, please write something. <laughs> that has a chance to rank. Otherwise, what are you doing? You're just, you're wasting all this time writing. You know, it's getting so much harder to rank. Please, please, please do some research before you start writing. That's <laughs> Anyway, that's my plea to all of my clients. <laughs> <laughs> well, listeners, I hope you've had plenty to take away from that. If you take away one thing, it's that. That's the final lesson right there from right. Catherine Watier-Ong. <laughs> <laughs> so, Catherine, how can the listeners find you across the internet, whether that's your podcast, your website, your Twitter, all that good stuff? How can people find you on the internet? Sure, yeah. I'm spending too much time on Twitter, as you just uh, illustrated on the upfront. So that's uh, <laughs> my main name, actually. It's K-W-A-T-I-E-R. Um, but then my website is wostrategies.com, and you can find both the SEO tips there as well as the podcast. And then I've got a couple of downloadable guides about voice search stuff, if that's of interest to you and Bing's role in voice search. Amazing. Links, for as always, are in the show notes listeners at search.withcanada.co.uk if you do want to find all that in one place for you. Thank you so much, Catherine. Like I said, I really, really appreciate you coming on. It's a, it's a pleasure to talk with you. And hopefully we will talk again sometime in the future. Oh, you're very welcome. I love chit-chatting about search. <laughs> <laughs> That's all the time we have for this week. Thank you very much again to Catherine for joining me and providing some fascinating insights. I'll be back next week and we'll be joined by Sarah McDowell, the SEO manager at Captivate Audio, as well as the co-host of the fantastic SEO Mindset podcast. I've got a lot of brilliant guests coming up in the next few weeks, so please do subscribe so you don't miss an episode when they go live every Monday morning. Thank you very much for listening and have a lovely week.